Last week, I wrote a blog post um, titled, What If the Bible Isn't the Final Word? Let me just ask a question. Did anyone here read that? Before I stopped writing. Oh, there's a few. All right, nice. Awesome. <laughs> um, if you didn't read that, you really should check it out because I'm conceited and I want more hits on my page. It's really... Um, no, I think it's it's really important. It'll give you kind of um, a, an insight into some of my heresy, which I think is a helpful thing. Um, and also, there's nothing better than shamelessly advertising yourself in a church service. Um, so since I'm doing that, I'm going to shamelessly advertise one more thing. Um, if you guys aren't aware of this, Rob Bell is in the middle of a series called What is the Bible? It is fantastic. Um, it's one of the most approachable and one of the most challenging um, kind of approaches to the Bible that I've seen. And it's in these really short snippets and segments. It's fantastic. If you want to be challenged and have your worldview exploded, um, check that out. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I've been writing and thinking about recently has been influenced by that. So you'll see some of that stuff here if you've um, read any of that. But the reason that I bring all that up is because I want to start with the idea that I outlined in my blog post, and then I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction, and I think that that's going to help us understand more about the overarching narrative of the Bible. And it's a pretty ambitious task for a 15-minute sermon, but I think we can probably get through it, and I hope that in the process it'll stretch your understanding of the Bible and the God that the Scriptures reveal to us. So one of the beautiful things that the Bible shows us is the transforming beliefs that the Israelites had about the God that they worshipped. And that's right, we see in the Bible a kind of development of how these Jewish people came to better understand God throughout time and through their history. And some people have tried to say, though, that the Bible offers this completely objective truth about God that we can simply read the words of Scripture and come to an easy understanding about who God is. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people say things like final word or ultimate authority when they're talking about the Bible in this way. And that's what I used to claim about the Bible myself. Um, but I have to admit, even though that's what I was taught about the Bible and even though that's what I was saying myself, that understanding has always been a little bit uneasy for me. If the Bible's the final word, then why do people read it and come to such vastly different conclusions? That doesn't seem very final. But what if the Bible isn't the final word? See, I don't believe that the Bible is some rule book that we crack open to get a formula to fix our problems. It's not an instruction manual for our lives. You know, just follow these guidelines, but avoid these really bad things over here, and then everything's going to work out great in the end. What the Bible really is is the unfolding story of God revealing himself more fully to the world. Let me say that again. The Bible is the unfolding story of God revealing himself more fully in the world. And that means that different writers have different things to say about God. That means that as the Israelites experienced God in new ways, their understanding of who God was changed and grew. And it might make you a bit uncomfortable to hear something like that. Growing, about, growing ideas about God within the Bible. But then isn't that the whole point? 
So we didn't have God all figured out back then when these early scriptures were being written. We didn't have God all figured out when the New Testament was written and our Bible canon was closed. We don't have God all figured out right now. So why is it that we assume that the writers of the Bible somehow had God completely figured out? So maybe a better way to understand the Bible is not as the final word, but as the first word. The Bible is the place that we go to see how God is moving in the world. The Bible is where we see God's people discovering more about who God is and trying to find words to express these experiences. Think about it in your own life. You're not the same person that you were a year ago, or five years ago, or two decades ago. You've grown and you've changed, and in that process, your understanding of God has grown and changed. How much more so is that going to be true for the writers of Bibles who didn't have the Bible to guide them along the way when they were writing? And when we approach it this way, I think we're actually taking the Bible more seriously. Because when we can look at the Bible as the unfolding story of God, we stop reading it like a rule book to be followed. And we start looking to see how God's moving and changing and shaping people's perceptions all along. And one of the most beautiful ways that God does this in Scripture is through the temple in Jerusalem. And temples are pretty common in the ancient world, right? Every tribe, every group, they had their own gods, and each of those gods had a temple dedicated to them. But everyone knew that these gods were distant. They were unpredictable. They didn't really care too much about what was going on down here in the human world. And so in order to keep uh, these distant gods happy, these tribes would make sacrifices to them in their temples. And if you were lucky, the gods might hear you, and they might respond to your request, or they might see your sacrifice and give you what you've been seeking in the first place. But the Israelites talk about their God in an entirely different way. Their God wasn't a disconnected God that was found in some otherworldly place. Their God was different. Their God sought them out. Their God heard their prayers. Their God entered into a relationship, a covenant of love. Listen to these words that Solomon prays as he's dedicating the temple in Jerusalem in Second Chronicles. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant with who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. No one like you in heaven or on earth. Covenant of love. See, this God that Solomon's talking about, that these Israelites worship and are coming to understand and know better in the world, is not a distant God. This God's present. He hears their voices. He responds to their calls. It's not a plea and a bargain to get God to be interested in your life. So while the other gods were somewhere else entirely, someplace other than here, and the people who worshipped them were so desperately trying to reach their God's ears, the Israelites had this radically different understanding of God. Their God wasn't somewhere else. He wasn't in some other realm. 
Their God walked with Abraham. Their God was present with Moses in the burning bush. Their God was present with the Hebrews as they walked through the desert. And so when the Israelites build this temple in Jerusalem, they weren't building a place to appeal to some distant God. They were building a dwelling place for God, who is already here in the world. And this idea is revolutionary. They believe that God wasn't distant, that God drew near to us, and that God wants us to draw near to him. So this temple is a revolutionary step forward in our understanding of who God was. And while this was revolutionary at the time, God wasn't done revealing himself to the world. Jesus has a lot to say about the temple. He recognizes, or he criticizes the temple system for failing widows and orphans, um, for abusing the marginalized and the oppressed, and he starts talking about how God isn't done yet. The temple will be torn down and the new temple will be raised up. And here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the most beautiful and complete expression of God in the world, and he says, God's not done revealing himself yet. Well, take a look at me, with me at uh, Matthew's Gospel, here at the very end, in chapter 27. Jesus spends his last moments here on the cross, and he cries out that, uh, that cry that we're so familiar with from the Psalms, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verses 50 and 51, we read, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the same temple, the same curtain that Pete Rollins was talking about in the video that we watched earlier in the service. And this curtain was inside of the innermost sanctuary of the temple. And it separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant rested for a long time, where God's presence was thought to dwell in this world, the literal place of dwelling of God. And so as Matthew's talking about this, um, it's important because he's writing to this Jewish audience, and he's showing the people that God didn't just reveal himself in the time of the Torah, in the books of Moses. God wasn't finished revealing himself in the times of the kings and the prophets. Matthew's saying that however revolutionary the temple was, God's not finished. And so the temple veil's torn, showing that there's nothing behind the curtain at all. God doesn't live in a temple. God's not confined to a building. God's found out there. And this is a truth that we cling to in the church. We don't come to this building because this is where God's found. We come here and we gather as a community so that we can experience God out there, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, among strangers, and among friends. And that doesn't mean that the Israelites got it wrong when they built the temple in Jerusalem. It just means that God wasn't finished. God wasn't done revealing himself to the world. In fact, we needed that revelation that God wasn't just up there in the clouds because that understanding led to the even greater revelation that God isn't just somewhere in this world hidden away in a temple. God's found everywhere, out in the world, in and through everything. But then the Apostle Paul takes this revelation even further. And in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you've received from God. He actually says this twice in this short book. And Paul right here is in the middle of this pretty difficult letter to a church that he started in Corinth. And Paul centers this entire letter around teaching these early Christians how to live in a way that exemplifies God's hope and love in the world. And then in the middle of those instructions, Paul tells them, God isn't found in a temple built by human hands. God's found inside of you. And this idea, again, is revolutionary. It's something that's still difficult for us. People don't experience God in the world because of a building. You are the way that God experiences, and people experience God in the world. People experience God through you, through the way that you love, through the way that you offer hope, through the way that you sit with them in struggle and in pain, through the way that you fight injustice and oppression on their behalf. People don't experience God in the world because you give them the right knowledge about God. People don't experience God in the world because you can answer all of their questions about Christianity and faith. People experience God through you. And it's not because we can make faith easy. Because let's be honest, right? Faith isn't always easy. Sometimes it's downright difficult. We believe in a God of goodness and truth, and at the same time, we have questions about who God is. If he's with us in the struggle, if he's listening, if he's even there. And I was having a conversation about this with somebody this week, and they reminded me that faith isn't some intellectual exercise. Faith isn't weighing the options and making an intellectual decision. Like, yeah, it didn't make sense. God's there. I can take that scale. Faith is a gift, and it's a gift that God gives us in the measure that we need and in the place that we find ourselves. Sometimes it's more than we need. Sometimes it's less than we want. So my faith has changed tremendously throughout my life. I don't believe the same things that I did when I was in high school or when I was leading youth ministry or when I was in seminary studying. And I don't believe that I'll ever arrive at some place where everything just instantly becomes easy. I have all the answers and I can come up with a quick and easy and good response to every question. But I also don't believe that that's my job as a pastor or that Aaron or Max's job as pastors is to have all the answers and just to teach a head knowledge about God. I believe what we're doing here in community together is entering into each other's journeys, entering into the journey that you're on, that I'm on. And we walk beside each other in the midst of those questions and struggles and doubts. We offer hope and insight at times. We also sit in the tension without clear answers, and sometimes we just need to recognize that that's okay. Because God doesn't need us to have a perfect faith. God has faith for us. God gives faith to us. And in the times that we don't, God walks with us and we walk with each other. So as we seek to follow the ways of Jesus, 
we start to see transformations and movements and changes in our lives. You know, I'm not a Christian because I think that it's the best possible religion. I'm not a Christian because I think that we're right and everybody else is wrong. I'm a Christian because I believe that the way of Jesus is the best possible way of living in this world. I stole that from Rob Bentley, if that was your title of knowledge. <laughs> I'm inspired by stories of hope in people's lives. I'm inspired by stories of transformation in people's lives. And as we seek to follow the way of Jesus, we see that we become more generous, more loving, less self-centered. We're more driven to care for the needs of the marginalized and the oppressed. We're more passionate about social justice, about things like sex trafficking, slavery throughout the world, fighting for civil rights and equality. And these things haven't come about for me because I feel like I have better answers or more head knowledge. I've been changed and transformed because I'm experiencing and accepting grace and mercy more and more. Because I'm looking for the story that God's continuing to unfold in our lives and in our world. Because Jesus didn't come to tell us what to think. He came to show us how to live. And that's what the Bible is. It's not a rule book teaching us how to think better about God. It's a library of poems and parables and stories about the real encounters that God's had with people and their changing perception and worldview, about a God who's changing everything. A God who's always revealed himself in the world and who continues to reveal himself in the world. He tells the story of a God who reaches out to people and reveals himself in the world through you and through the way that you live and the way that you seek after the way of Christ. And the beautiful truth is that there's no measure of perfection that we need to reach for God to be able to use us. God uses you in all of your questions, all of your struggles, all of your doubts. And that's why we strive for the way of Jesus, for the hope, for the renewal, for the life that we've seen, and for the ways that God calls us into relationship with other people to bring wholeness and fullness and joy and love and peace and restoration into the world around us. So may you embrace hope. May you embrace faith in whatever measure you have. May you seek passionately the way of Jesus, and may you allow him to mold you and shape you and transform you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our hope. You are our joy. You are our comfort. You are our salvation. God, we pray that you would continue, that you would continue to reveal yourself more fully in our hearts and minds, more fully in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would use us to be expressions of your faith, of your hope, of your love in and through this world. Lord, we pray that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. Lord, that we would take seriously the the unbelievable truth that we are, in fact, temples of the Holy Spirit, that it's through us that people experience you in the world. 
Lord, thank you for this amazing privilege, for this amazing opportunity to partner with you in bringing your kingdom here and bringing your love and your faith and your hope and your joy present in and among the people around us in our communities. God, I pray that you would just pour your spirit out in this place upon us this day that you would continue to mold us and shape us and transform us. Lord, make us more into the likeness of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.